Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I think Oregon is going to obliterate Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl. Mike called in in the last segment. He said he thought Liberty would win the damn game. Well, I don't know. Jeff Schwartz, former Oregon Duck, Sirius XM. You can hear him there. Eight seasons in the NFL joining us now. What is Oregon going to do to Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, Schwartz? Well, I mean, if they play their best game, it's not going to be very close. Um, I just, you know, Bo Nix playing, I think, almost guarantees that they're going to play well or are going to play their best game possible. You know, if it had been Ty Thompson or Nova Setters, I guess someone else, uh, maybe, you know, it signals that, you know, hey, you know, we're not, you know, this is a glorified scrimmage, not really a bowl game we're trying to win. But Bo Nix playing certainly makes it feel like it matters a lot more. Um, but look, without Jimmy J, they're without, uh, you know, I think Dorless announced, and they're without Jackson, and they're without uh, Bucky. But here's the thing, John, is like, your backups would probably start at Liberty too. You know, it's like you, this is a time for all the depth that you have, all the recruiting to show um, they're 18 and a half points. I think they're the biggest favorite in all of bowl season right now. Um, it kind of shows you what Oregon can do. Uh, we saw last year, you know, a crippling loss to Oregon State to end the season, came back and played well against North Carolina in the bowl game. And I feel like, you know, the, the Oregon not being ready to play has not really been a thing for Dan Lanning or two, in two years now. So I think they'll, they'll play hard. And if they play hard and want to be there and want to win, um, they'll win the game. Look, the, the loser of the Pac-12 championship game has lost every bowl game they played in. Um, so, they would certainly be breaking a trend here if they were able to win this game. It would be a bad loss. Liberty should not be on the field with Oregon. I want to think back to your college career. I'm going to remember that there was a Fiesta Bowl. I think there was a Vegas Bowl, as I remember. And then there was, I think, a Sun Bowl in your last year. Do I have that right? It was it was Holiday Bowl, Yeah. Uh, Vegas Bowl, Sun Bowl. Okay. Give us an idea, because a lot of people, a lot of people listening have never played in a bowl game, haven't been around players that play in a bowl game. You know, what is that like? How do you know if a team wants to be there? What does that come down in your mind to? If it's not a playoff game, it's a bowl game, what does it come down yeah. to? Well, I think it's different now, obviously. Um, but, you know, when, when we were playing, so the Holiday Bowl, we were 10-2. and two. We do um, 10-1. and one. We've only lost USC that year. Playing Oklahoma, and uh, you know, Kellen Clements was hurt, but you it's Oklahoma, you know, it's in San Diego. Like it, the Holiday Bowl to me has always felt like the start of bowl season, sort of the like official start of bowl season. So that's a game that you know you wanted to be in, right? You're ten and one, uh, yeah, you, you didn't win the Pac-12, oh well, but you're playing Oklahoma, and, and you want to get after it. The, the Vegas Bowl very famously did not go very well for us against BYU, and that's a game where you know the motivation for that. For a lot of guys, just wasn't there. It was a bad team that year, bad sort of leadership. And, uh, you know, the Vegas Bowl was used as a party more than it was, you know, as a celebration. And, and we weren't very good. We started feeling 5-0 and ended up 7-5. and um, and, and BYU was – that game has always been tough for the Pac-12 because 
it's always like the sixth the sixth best Pac-12 team and the number one Mountain West team. Yeah. And Mountain West always wants to win that game, obviously. And the following year in the Sun Bowl, because of what happened the year before in the Vegas Bowl, man, a lot of us just said, you know what, we're going to focus in. We're not going to party in El Paso. We're going to go to bed. We're going to sleep. We're going to rest. We're, you know, we'll enjoy ourselves. And um, we had, obviously, Justin Roper playing as a fifth-string quarterback, and we, we kicked uh, South Florida's butt that day. I just remember in any of those years, though, the bowl game was fun, man. Like, school's out, so it's just you and, the, and your teammates again. It's almost like training camp. This is a, it's a month of bonding, right? You're with your teammates. All you're doing is football. Um, you know, the, the bowl season comes with swag and gifts and a little extra spending money that you get during bowl season. So it was always very fun, even though the Vegas Bowl didn't end up being what we wanted it to be. I always enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the bowl game, but now these guys are making – so much NIL money and, and whatnot, which is great. I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all, but I don't know if they feel the same way about these bowl games. Uh, and I don't blame players for opting out and for choosing their NFL career over the bowl game. But, you know, there was a lot of – it was a lot of fun, man. I, I enjoyed going to the bowl. I enjoyed getting a week uh, vacation and a week, you know, a week to go play somewhere else, play a different team you might not play ever. You know, we played BYU and Oklahoma, which we ended up actually playing three years in a row, and uh, South Florida, which I only – Organist played since, so it was. Uh, I enjoyed it, man. I, but I get now. I get it's more business like now. And I understand why players don't want to play in them. You had Chip Kelly as a first year offensive coordinator for that Sun Bowl that last year. Did yeah? What did you? What you know? What were your impressions of Chip as a coordinator who came through the door that season? So I remember this very vividly. Um, I was. I had surgery on, on my back after the 06 season. It was early January of 07. I had surgery. And we used to do one team morning workout a week. It was Friday mornings. Radcliffe would get us all out there at 6.30 in the morning. And I wasn't doing that. I was hurt. But I was there, right? I had to be there. So remember when Chip was there for his interview uh, early February. And uh, he was – I was just talking to him because I was on the sideline. He was explaining – his offense to me, and I was like, "This is not going to work in college football." Like in major, I was like, "This <laughs> this guy's crazy." We're going fast. We're going like we're just, and I was like, "This ain't going to work." And I don't, and I actually don't even remember like in the moment that it was Chip Kelly. Like I remember when we hired him, I was like, "Oh, other conversation with that guy." And I told him his offense stunk. <laughs> his idea was very good. <laughs> so, um, then then about like the third day of training camp that year. We were all, I remember in the offensive line room one day, and Great Wood made a comment like, boys, if you guys can just block, like this is a heck of an offense. And it felt that way from the beginning. And the one thing that I liked about playing with Chip was, you know, I don't know if I've ever played on a, a more confident offense, certainly not in college football. There were NFL offenses I felt pretty good about. But it was just we had this confidence uh, that we were going to kick everyone's butt each week. You know, like it didn't matter what was put in front of us who was playing defense and we played USC that year and they were, you know, everyone was NFL that defense and we, we scored on them. And even, you know, we played South Florida in that bowl game. We were with our fifth string quarterback and we put up, uh, I think it was 42 offensive points and we scored twice on defense. That's how we get to 56. And that's, that's hard to do to score six offensive touchdowns with, with a fifth string quarterback. We just were so confident that year. Um, Cause Chip put us in a, in a really good position to, to have success each and every play. So um, as you know, again, like thinking myself like this, this guy's nuts. And then uh, <laughs> ended up being uh, obviously very successful. And I think for his part, like the, the second or third day he was there was the Camp Harlow day too. So I wonder if he had some, some questions about coming to Oregon, just like I had questions about him. Jeff Schwartz is with us, uh, former 
offensive lineman in the NFL and host on Sirius XM. Schwartz, you saw the Pac-12 championship game. What what was going on with Oregon, especially early on in that game in your in your eyes? Yeah. Yeah, I read what, what you said. I think we had you on our, our show, too, about the energy before the game. And um, I got a word from a couple of people that were there that said that, you know, that it just – Oregon's energy did not feel right to start the game. Like players have kind of commented on that. And I don't know the reason why it wasn't there, obviously. But, um, you know, maybe there was some tightness about the, you know, the game. For a lot of those players, it was the first time – it was for the coaching staff, too. It was the first time in the situation. I mean, Kalen DeBoer has played and coached in – you know, NAIA change, like that, that, that matters, right? He's talked about the experience of having those opportunities at a lower level and what it means to, be, to prepare at a higher level. Maybe there just was a little bit of, of tightness for the team. But, look, I mean, I think this is sort of goes unnoticed, and that's part of what happens when you lose, is they came back, John. They were 24-20. Yeah. Like, it's for as bad as they played to start the game, and it wasn't great. They were winning the fourth quarter again for the third straight time against Washington and just didn't, and didn't, didn't finish the game. But, you know, that gets lost, obviously, in the end result and, and the victors, you know, go to the spoils. So I, so I get that. But, yeah, they just didn't start fast, man. But I give them credit. I, look, I was sitting at home. I was like, oh, boy, we're going to get smoked. And then slowly but surely, right, the, the, the double-up opportunity in the first half and all of a sudden now it's, you know, it's uh, 24-20. It was a, you know, it was an – odd game for Oregon. They didn't play that way. You know, look, two plays, right? The first play of the game, the ball hits the umpire. You're like, oh, that's not normal. And then the Knicks interception, I mean, the guy was standing out of bounds. Like, Knicks didn't even see him. Like, how many times do you see that happen? Like, never? Yeah. Where the quarterback throws the ball on a defender who's on the sideline. I think it's not illegal what happened. But the guy was literally on the sidelines when he threw the pass. He thought he was just a guy on the sidelines. Like, just, <laughs> it, just didn't, it just didn't happen for us. And of course, Washington won the line of scrimmage and some other things that, they, you know, obviously they did really well. But just it just was weird. It was a weird film to watch. Um, guys that plays to be made weren't made. Um, and in the end, you know, that's what Washington does best, right? They win these close games by making the plays other teams do not make in, you know, in the fourth quarter, and you got to give them credit for that. I always say that I think teams and players need to sniff around success before they get it, and it kind of had that feel to it. I think you're right about all the games that Kalen DeBoer had coached. And I was on the field before the game, and I and I it I commented to people around me. I said, Oregon looks like it's all business. And I'm now kicking myself because what I was really seeing was a team that was very quiet, was quietly warming up, quietly focused. Nobody was talking. Yeah. Like, normally you get a lot of chatter. You get a couple of guys that are kind of, you know, thumping their chest. And that was going on on the other side. But sometimes that... You know, it equates in a slow start. Sometimes it doesn't. Just feel like maybe it was Washington's year. Do you like Washington against Texas, or do you think the season ends for the Huskies in the Sugar Bowl? I do. They uh, it's just a bad matchup for Texas. Um, you know what, what they do well is up front on the defensive line, and what does Washington do well? They have a good offensive line, right? And um, you know, you, you got to be able to hit Penix and get him off his spot and get him, you know, doing something he doesn't want to do. And I feel like. Texas just with their secondary and the pass rush, it's going to be tough. Look, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, Washington's defense plays better than, than their numbers all season. It's just they have. Um, can Texas exploit the issues that Washington has in their defense? And if they can, then this game, I think, becomes really close and it becomes, you know, sort of like last possession type of game. But Washington has shown that they just win these games. And look, I, I keep saying that it's, 
hard to win one score games and eventually that just ends because that's the law of averages but Washington's proving me wrong and they've won now I think 11 games by eight points or less in their 22 game win streak or 20 game win streak they've won obviously nine in a row by 10 points or less like they keep doing it I just think the matchup is not great for them uh for Texas so I think Washington wins I think they lose to Alabama in the title game but I think they do beat Texas I want to pivot to the NFL. You've got a lot of experience there. Eight seasons in the NFL as an offensive lineman. Your brother in the NFL as an offensive lineman. You watch the game. Um, right now, the 49ers seem to be clicking. They had a little stretch earlier in the year where they had some uh, hiccups. I'm a big Niner fan. Um, Brock Purdy alternately gets talked about like an MVP and then dissed, saying, oh, he's got so much around him. Uh, what do you make of the Niners to this point of the season, Jeff? I mean, they were obviously really good at it. You know, it's very clear that they're a team that when they're whole, they're the best in the NFL. I think that the concern with the Niners just for the rest of the season is, it kind of, excuse me, it kind of showed that, you know, one or two players out on offense, and the offense is much different. We saw that this season with a couple injuries. And so you just, I think you just have to hope that everyone stays healthy for the rest of the season. The Brock Purdy thing, look, John, every quarterback is sort of a system quarterback in, in the end, right? And, and, Brock Purdy, though, is still playing outstanding. Like, you have to give him his credit. Look, do I think that if you were drafting quarterbacks, he would go in the top five or seven or eight? No. But all he's doing is executing the offense at a very high level. And you should be commended for that. And, and look, I don't, I think people are trying to find reasons not give him the MVP. It might end up just being his year because, you know, Mahomes and Allen and Rodgers and some of the guys that are always up there at the top aren't playing as well this season. And, you know, Tua, I mean, Tua and, and Tyreek Hill are probably done after Monday Night Football. So, Lions are good, man. I mean, like, they're going to have, presumably, you know, two home games in the playoffs. Um, Eagles and probably someone else. I don't know, Cowboys maybe. I mean, they, they should be the favorites. Um, they do the things that, that help you win football games. They don't turn the ball over. They rush the passer well. They run block well. So, they're good. They're really good. They have to just avoid injury. That's about it. You know, any sort of injury in offense is going to be a problem for them because it feels like we saw that stretch you know, where they lost three games without a healthy offense, and they were just totally different without all those guys. Give me an idea. You know, the Patrick Mahomes thing, he obviously has since come out and said, hey, it was a bad look for me to be whining and complaining after the game. But I got to know what you thought of that as a guy who's played in the league. Uh, yeah. Receiver lines up offsides and – gets called, and, you know, did that surprise you, that whole fiasco? Well, John, I, I think, and I said this on social media and my podcast, and I think this was Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid just being angry and using the officials <laughs> to voice their displeasure because <laughs> the season's not going, obviously, how it's going, and Mahomes and Andy Reid are not going to cuss out Tony. Like, it's, it's just not their personality, and plus, like, they need to dare his Tony. Like, they, he, when he gets the ball, he's really good. Like, they need him to be part of their offense. And so I think they just, instead of throwing him under the bus, they threw the rest under the bus. You know, it, that to me feels like exactly what happened here. Um, you know, look, do, do they get a warning beforehand? You typically do. But Darius Tony was very offside. I get why they threw, the, you know, threw that in a situation. Um, and so to me, it's just, it was just anger. They had to, Patrick Mahomes wanted to yell at somebody. It wasn't going to be his head coach. Wasn't me, Tony, and the offensive line was going to be the referees. That's what it felt like to me that they just had to let it let loose, and the easiest target were the officials. And it happened. They, obviously, he apologized, especially to Josh Allen. That was a sort of weird post game that just like complaining that that just beat you. Um, 
and that's that's nothing more than it was just to anger and they just use the officials to voice their displeasure on what's happening this season jeff schwartz with us eight seasons in the nfl you can hear him on sirius xm uh jeff but before uh, we part ways here, I just want to say you do a hell of a job on your show, on social media. You're a great follow. For people who aren't following Schwartz on Twitter, get there. He does a lot of analysis, a lot of insight, and you really get some intel that you don't get from people who haven't played the game. I, you're a great follow, Jeff. Keep keep doing it, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoy doing it. I mean, it's fun. It's informative. I just I want to try to help people be smarter about football, you know, and that's, uh, cause it makes us, it makes it more fun to watch when you know what you're, you're watching. So that's, uh, that's my goal with my social media. There he goes. Jeff Schwartz, a happy holidays to him. Our big splash coming up. Leave it here. Good stuff with the Schwartz, Jeff Schwartz. Joined us earlier. If you missed it, grab the podcast. Nick Daschle covers Oregon state. He'll be with us coming up at 424. Make an appointment, 424. Uh, one of my kids, uh, my oldest daughter, had a volleyball coach, Chijo. He's a fantastic coach, great coach. One of the things that he did with the kids is when he told them what time they had to meet. You know, Stephen, you do this. You're like, your kids are playing sports. What did the coach say? Eh, 430 is, you know, practice is at 430. Or we're meeting, you know, at the uh, at the gym at uh, at 430. Uh, and then your kid will go, I, you know, you'll say, what time are you meeting? And your kid will go, I don't know, it was 4 or 3.30, 4, 4.30. I, I can't remember. Um, the volleyball coach used to give a time. He'd say, uh, we're going to meet at 3.11. You don't forget that. It sticks in your head. It's a non, um, non uh, I guess, common, you know, number. And uh, people remember it. It sticks in your head. Well, 4.24, Dashel. Bank it. Make an appointment. He'll be here. Mark in Portland calling in. Been holding for a bit. Mark, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? I just at Mike, of course. Uh, I, he he is such a clown. His last phone call to you, John. He talked about uh, Colorado. If Oregon played their schedule, they would have had the same record. Well, Oregon played seven common opponents. Here's some of the teams that Colorado lost to, and what the scores were. Stanford forty-two to six, Utah thirty-five to six, California sixty-three to nineteen, Washington State, a team Colorado lost to fifty-six to fourteen. Oregon beat by two touchdowns. Oregon played the Huskies twice. Colorado didn't have to play them, so they they didn't have to play the number two team in the country. Oregon dominated everybody this year that they played. They've dominated the Pac-12, Pac-10 since nineteen ninety-four. They've won nine conference championships. They finished first or second 15 times. That's 50% of the time they're one or two. So when he told us we were unintelligent, we didn't know what we were talking about, he's the clueless one. Roy, I'm going to listen to Roy, even though he doesn't like Oregon, and, and sometimes I get upset with him. He he comes with articulate, intelligent posts and, and or, uh, phone calls, and, and you know, he's he when he tells us that we can't beat the Huskies, we, we have to listen to him. But he has credibility because he acknowledges that Oregon's a top-20 team year in and year out. Mike's just a clown. Every time he's on your show, I see a clown face. There you <laughs> That's go. what I see. I'm, I'm going to – I just let you go there. Mark in Portland, happy holidays. There he goes. Um, look, I you know, some people have asked me, uh, you know, why do you let certain caller call in? And it's not always the same person, by the way. It'll be like Mike or Mark or Roy or, you know, Dre or all these 
different callers. People go, why do you let so-and-so call in? And because the callers, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, speak for a segment of the audience. And sometimes, every once in a while, uh, a caller who may be out in left field will offer something that the rest of us will go, eh, you know, that's that's not a bad thought. Um, I'm not going to let, like, a nonsensical caller go on and on and on and dominate the show and hijack the show. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think there's a time and a place. And sometimes if a caller is absurd, I'll let a caller go, even though, you know, they are absurd. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.